Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for July 17th, 2023. I'm Phil Adler. Here's an easy question. Are higher interest rates bearish for risk assets? But maybe the answer to this question is not so simple. Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady joins us today to broaden our perspective. Bill, with interest rates rising, it is more challenging for many companies to borrow money, say, for expansion and for consumers who are adding debt to pay it off. At least in the short term, this should make assets normally prone to risk even riskier. Am I right? Yes, you are, Phil. Higher borrowing costs make investment less attractive and weaken asset prices all else held equal. But it's important to remember that debt for a borrower is a lender's asset. So if the income off the asset rises with the increase in interest rates, an increase in interest rates is not completely negative. And many individual investors who place a high value on current income may welcome higher interest rates. Everyone who has, say, transferred money out of bank savings accounts into certain bonds or money market funds, some CDs, probably is happy with the higher interest payments showing up in their accounts. Higher interest rates attached to income investments can also draw money out of stocks. Is this happening and and how fast? Well, we have seen a rapid increase of fund flows into money market funds. Since late 2018, flows into money market funds are up 88% to nearly $5.5 trillion compared to $2.9 trillion in late 2018. That's pretty much unprecedented. The pandemic led to a jump in money market assets as investors flocked to them for safety, and, and the latest rise is due to higher interest rates. Bill, what role do overall government and corporate debt levels play in the creation of interest income? Well, debt growth in the economy has been remarkable. Scaling it to GDP, non-financial business debt plus household debt is up from about 50% of GDP in the early 1950s to just under 150% now. Government debt actually fell from nearly 100% of GDP right after World War II to a low of about 35% in the 1970s. It reached a post-war peak just over 125% of GDP during the pandemic. As we noted before, debt is somebody's fixed income asset. The reason for the debt growth is multifaceted. Higher levels of inequality mean there is more saving at the high end of the income scale that needs to find a home. The lack of fiscal discipline has led to rising government debt. Some of this lack of discipline is due to political polarization. Another factor is the dollar's reserve currency status. When foreigners run a trade surplus with us to acquire dollars, they often return those dollars to the U.S. to buy financial assets, often debt. But the more debt that's available means that higher interest income is also available. I get it. If debt levels are low, interest rates wouldn't have to go up as much to attract investments. Now, you said debt growth has been remarkable. Is the current debt level historically high or low? Well, it's high. Government plus non-financial business debt plus household debt is now 262% of GDP. It peaked during the pandemic at 304% of GDP. Until the early 1980s, this number usually ran about 130% of GDP. As an aside, you might be wondering why we keep talking about non-financial business debt. We purposely exclude financial system debt because often this debt is used to provide other debt, so adding it would run the risk of double counting. So as a result of this increase in debt, is interest income commanding a growing percentage of total personal income in this country? Well, interestingly enough, no. 
When interest rates were very high under Volcker, interest income represented about 18% of total personal income. We're currently at about 8%, but I would expect this to rise in the coming years. Bill, I want to get back to this in just a moment, but first, this question. How is demand for risk assets affected by the distribution of wealth in this country? Well, wealth distribution is something I have increasingly appreciated in my years analyzing financial markets. Data from the Federal Reserve shows that the top 10% of households in terms of wealth hold about 50 to 60% of their assets and equities. The bottom 50%, in comparison, hold about 70% of their assets in residential real estate and household durable goods. The middle 40 hold about 25% each in equities and real estate. So it stands to reason that if you're trying to predict the path of the equity markets, income flows by wealth distribution matter. Anything that makes the rich richer tends to lift equity prices, all else held equal. Bill, you said a moment ago that you do expect interest income as a percentage of personal income will grow. How much does it have a lot more room to grow in the coming months? Yes, I suspect we've seen the lows in interest rates for our lifetimes. As interest rates rise, wealthy households, being net creditors, will likely benefit. So are you suggesting that all this cash placed now in interest-bearing investments by higher-income investors will be very bullish for risk assets, including many stocks, once a softening economy prompts the Fed to end or reverse interest rate hikes? Yes, although the timing will be a challenge. For now, investors seem quite content to keep funneling liquidity into short-duration fixed income. But once the Fed eases, there is ample fuel for equity purchases. In other words, depending on your time horizon, higher interest rates could eventually be quite bullish for risk assets. It's a bit of an oddity, isn't it? A part of what's driving this situation is a condition called fiscal dominance. As the fiscal deficit rises, bond issuance increases too. Although foreigners own some of the debt, as do intergovernmental agencies, the rest end up in households either directly or indirectly through pension funds. Essentially, when the government pays interest on debt, it becomes a transfer payment of sorts. And since most of this debt is held by higher income households, more of this income will become available for other investments. Now, this isn't to say that higher interest rates are always bullish for risk assets. After all, higher interest rates tend to reduce the PE multiple on stocks, and it tends to lower the value of longer duration fixed income assets. But once a tightening cycle is ended, households best suited to buy risk assets could very likely have the liquidity to do so. Now, I want to add another caveat. This idea assumes that declining asset values don't trigger a mass liquidation event. In that case, available liquidity will be used to meet margin calls. That's kind of what occurred in the 1930s and in 2008. But now we have a Fed that seems to backstop asset values with at least some level of support, which tend to reduce the risk of a mass sell-off. Bill, how long should investors wait to buy risk assets as they anticipate an end to the tightening cycle? Well, it, it kind of depends on your risk appetite. Risk-adverse investors are generally being compensated to wait. The other issue, even for risk-tolerant investors, is what to buy. As Thomas Walsh pointed out recently in a earlier asset allocation bi-weekly, the S&P rally has been rather narrow. It might make sense to seek out what hasn't moved. Are stocks that pay dividends still a major competitor to interest-bearing accounts? Well, in terms of pure income, really not anymore. But in terms of total return, dividends plus price appreciation can be hard to beat. 
Is this changing? Well, it might be. We, we believe we're heading into a world with higher inflation and higher interest rates. Using the personal income data, dividend income was nearly 80% of interest income in the early 1950s. Investors in post-depression equity markets demanded dividends and compensation for the perceived risk. That percentage fell to a low of 15% in 1984 when interest rates were elevated. In the fourth quarter of 2021, that percentage hit a post-war high of 97%. Now, it's declined to about 90% recently. That ratio could fall more in the future. Bill, final question. Are interest-bearing investments currently favored within confluence investment management models? Well, in our risk-adverse portfolios, we have tended to lean into fixed income and to protect against inflation adversely affecting long-duration assets, we've deployed bond ladders to reduce the risk. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Be aware that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice, and this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. 